In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then the disciples told what had happened to them on the road and how the Lord had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Luke 24, verse 35. After his wife died, C.S. Lewis once wrote that he thought that his grief might be less if he intentionally avoided the places he and his wife had gone. So he limited his travels to only those places where they had never been together. He switched grocery stores, tried different restaurants, walked only on streets that he and Joy had never taken, but it didn't work. To paraphrase Lewis, I found out that grief is like the sky above. It's over everything. The two travelers in Luke 24 seem to think that by leaving town, maybe they too could walk away from their grief, leave the bad memories of the previous Friday behind. Jerusalem had become like an empty house from where all the children had gone. It was haunted with memories. It was haunted by hope deferred. Jerusalem was a place where their dreams had died. As Frederick Buechner asked, where is your Emmaus? We all have one. So Jesus meets them on the way. He doesn't come to them in Jerusalem. He doesn't wait for them at home. He doesn't bid them make some holy pilgrimage or undertake some pious feat. Rather, he meets them where they are, on the road, amid their journey, right smack in the middle of all the pain, the frustration, and despondency that threatens to overwhelm them, even though they don't recognize him. St. Luke tells us the story of these followers of Jesus who were stricken with a burning sensation in their hearts as they meet up with a stranger on the road to Emmaus. When Jesus appeared by their side and began interpreting the scriptures, they considered him ignorant. He was quite possibly the only one in or near Jerusalem who had not yet learned of the recent resurrection happenings. As they walked and talked, Jesus listened. Then Jesus spoke while they listened. Yet something in the exchange unsettled these two disciples. Something from the mouth of the Lord struck them as odd. There was, as they would later reflect, some internal distress as they heard him expound on the scriptures. Neither the meaning or the implication of Jesus' roadside teaching sat well with these two people. Their idea of redemption was more politically than spiritually oriented. After describing the Lord's condemnation and crucifixion to none other than Jesus himself, they pronounced an enormous but. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. None of this conversational discomfort was really apparent until the Emmaus meal that evening. There, Christ breaking a bread turned an otherwise ordinary meal into a sacramental encounter. Soren Kierkegaard remarked that we live life forward by understanding it backward. These two companions of Jesus are the embodiment of that truth. Their memory of the scriptural promises as interpreted by Jesus along the dusty road inspired future-minded Easter faith. Jesus had brought new significance and new insight to their old lives of faith. 
Now the great deeds of God, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, proved to be more than cracked and faded photographs. We never hear of Cleopas again after this passage, and we never learn the name of his companion. They were ordinary people who have had the grand adventure of following Jesus and his disciples. And now that it is over, they are walking back home. They don't even recognize him when he joins them. Yet he chooses this place of loss to meet them. When he asks about their sorrow, they are so absorbed in that grief that they cannot believe that this person doesn't know about their experience. The story goes on. They respond to Jesus with hospitality, engaging him in conversation and expressing concern for him when he appears to be traveling beyond their stopping point. The day is over, they insist. It's getting dark. Come eat with us and rest and be safe. At supper, Jesus takes, blesses, breaks, and gives them the bread. And then they recognize him. Then almost immediately lose him again as he vanishes. Note the verbs Jesus used at the meal. Took, blessed, broke, and gave. Now the travelers recognize their awkward conversation partner as Christ himself. And a flood of memories ensued. They began to remember the nature of Jesus' words along the road, his testimony about suffering, and glory began to make sense. They reminisced about the burning hearts that accompanied that strange visit. Now life would be changed forever. With new confidence and excitement about the resurrection, they headed back to Jerusalem. At that same hour, we are told, recalling for others everything they had heard and seen. What makes the story remarkable is how unremarkable it is. It makes perfect sense for Jesus to appear to the remaining 11 disciples, to the faithful women who follow him, and even to Paul, all very practical appearances in terms of establishing the church and its mission. But Cleopas and his companion could be any one of us. Their road to Emmaus is an ordinary road. The road each of us is on every day. This is what sets this story apart from other accounts of Jesus' Easter appearances. Yes, the story echoes with a sense of the church and its mission and of the tremendous power of the word and the sacraments to connect us with the presence of God. But its image is one of God and a church that walk alongside human confusion, human pain, and a human loss of faith and hope. Emmaus invites us to expect God to find us. Emmaus challenges us to see what it, that it isn't our unshakable faith and deep spirituality that connect us with the risen Christ but our smallest gestures of hospitality and friendship. Breaking the bread, that was what did it. Not the voice, not the face, not the scripture recital or the theology lesson or the prophetic commentary. No, it was the bread in his hands. That's how they knew it was Jesus. This time, anyway. How do you know? Is it a sermon, 
a theology lesson, a book? Is it a painting, a piece of music, maybe a walk in the woods? Is it the touch of a hand or the warmth of a smile? Is it an act of mercy or an experience of grace? How do you know it is Jesus? I suppose that changes according to who we are and where we are. When you are crawling your way through a fog of despair, Jesus may show up as a friend who gets down on her hands and knees and quietly crawls with you. When you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Jesus may show up as a man at the bank who takes your hand and leads you through the awful red tape of wills and insurance claims. When you are new in town, dreading that first day of middle school, Jesus may show up as a student whose locker is next to yours, who says, hey, want to eat lunch together today? How do you know it is Jesus? I wonder what the disciples needed or thought they needed that afternoon. We had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. They told the stranger on the road. They were doing the post-tragedy thing of rehashing and replaying every detail. This was their grief. So he let them take the lead. And maybe it helped. Maybe the combination of mind-numbing miles and words was just the thing to keep them from spinning out of control. The road to Emmaus, it is the road we all have to walk sooner or later. We walk it again and again. When we aren't walking it ourselves, we fall into step with someone else who is taking their turn. If you look around, you know, without having to think twice, who has had to walk it since this time last year. You know who is getting ready to walk it now. Because you love them, you will be one of the persons who slips beside them and all those seven miles. You also know that when someone is walking that road, what they think is important. Don't you dare try to explain this. And you don't. Just hold my hand, says another, and you do. Talk to me about something else, anything else, says a third, and you will. It is their grief. You let them take the lead. You walk with them and join in when you can. You also know that the road talk is just a prelude. It is important, but it isn't the place where we recognize Jesus. The road talk is our chance to exercise a tiny piece of control when we are in an uncontrollable circumstance. We get to set the agenda, even if it's only a conversation topic. When you're spiraling with grief, this is crucial. You need places where the spiraling stops for just a few moments. You need places to process your own grief in your own way. Jesus knew this. I think that's exactly what he does on the road to Emmaus for seven long miles. I think that's why the disciples were finally ready when they sat down to supper, to see beyond themselves, to see him. So is this our model for pastoral and lay ministry? When a friend is walking the road to Emmaus, walk with them. Let them set the agenda and talk. 
be the face of Christ for them so that they can recognize Christ themselves. While some may need only to walk seven miles, others may feel that it's more like 70 or 700. That's okay. Jesus will walk that distance with them, and so will we. Let them know, too, that it's a conversation. They are not alone. They can bring their hopes, dashed or still growing, and their questions spoken are still lingering in the depths of their hearts. And this community will not just welcome them, but cherish them. As Cleopas and his companion did, we go from dashed hopes to burning hearts, from naming our pain in confession to the Lord's Supper, from disappointment to joy. This is the movement of the Christian faith and experience because it is, finally, the movement from cross to empty tomb and from death to life. The road is before us. Jesus walks with us. And from our own beloved Book of Common Prayer, Lord Jesus, stay with us, for evening is at hand and the day is past. Be our companion in the way. Kindle our hearts and awaken hope that we may know you as you are revealed in Scripture in the breaking of bread. Grant this for the sake of your love. Amen.